Richard Niles. Billboard, the music industry's biggest organ, has published an article called Too Many Songs, Not Enough Hits. Briefly, it says that the industry is actually complaining that the internet has created a bigger and more level playing field. Hmm, that sounds fairer to me, but they don't like it one little bit. This is frankly amazing talk coming from the industry, whining that because there are so many artists able to release songs, which they call product, on multiple platforms, the poor record companies don't have a metric to correctly judge success. Hmm. It seems from their tone that they are upset that there are very few artists who found modest success through self-promotion without record deals. And yet, have you seen the new issue of Billboard? It's filled with horrendously expensive full-page ads revealing an industry desperate for Grammys that will justify their budgets for their very biggest selling artists, megastars they've paid huge advances to. Upcoming artists, self-released on small labels, promoting themselves on TikTok, can't afford these ads. And to add insult to injury, the magazine has 24 pages of ads, oh, sorry, uh, an article entitled Recording's Great Escape. This utterly out-of-touch promo is about how great it is to go and record in luxury studios in Brazil and the Arctic Circle or a Spanish resort or a treehouse in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> Who can afford to waste time and money going to one of these deluxe holiday destinations? Only those megastars already signed to a major label. The business establishment says it's more difficult to break an artist without a true mainstream. Things used to be simple for the major labels because they had a metric. Chart position, record sales, concert attendance. And they were all easy to control because they had a system. The chart position was achievable by sending promo men, and they were indeed male, to the radio stations with gifts. Anything from a bottle of bubbly to cocaine to a new car to a holiday, I watched it happen. Record sales? Well, part of the promotional budget went towards the generous practice of buying in a record. Minions would be sent to every major city to literally buy a record into the charts. The record shop ordered more records. The head of promotion had a list of which shops were reporting their sales figures back to the creators of the chart. When a record achieved a chart position, the radio stations were obligated to play it, which meant that the label's expenditure for champagne and cocaine was reduced. Concert attendance was achieved by buying a new act onto a major tour as what is called a support act. For instance, the unknowns would be placed with a top agent and get a 30-minute set to warm up the audience for a Rolling Stones tour. This process is known as paying for tour support. That great band playing at your local club or pub couldn't afford tour support any more than they could afford one of those full-page ads in Billboard or to record their album in a treehouse in the Pacific Northwest. Yes, the major labels had a system, all right, and the system worked. But now, 
the creative tyranny of the mainstream system is weakening. A few artists are breaking through without the corruption of the system that made the music business a cozy home for major label A&R staff with cushy expense accounts. New artists are using the internet, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and most of them are not making money. But a small percentage are just getting by. Well, less than a handful are breaking big. But that handful still upsets the majors, who have invested so much, like addicts with a dependency on superstars. The labels begrudge the success of an artist like Hojian, who, with his 14,000 streams a day, will never be a household name, but will have a sturdy, solid career. They can't have the growing number of artists like Hojian, who they just don't have a part of. Artists like that simply don't need them. The system is broken. Yes, they can open their sumptuous wallets and sign these emerging artists, but then they'll have to give them bigger advances and higher royalties. If that carries on, what will that do to their salaries and expense accounts? Universal Music's CEO was paid a salary of over $300 million in 2021. Think for a moment how many talented artists could be supported and developed into stars of the future with that money, or even a third of it. For artists fortunate enough to be signed, how about the royalty on streaming? While the labels take about 58% and the streaming company takes about 29%, what's left gets split between the artist, the songwriters, and the publishers. Is this fair or reasonable? Another result of streaming has been the development of technology, making it increasingly easier to create product to feed what Joni Mitchell called the star maker machinery behind the popular song. In our cowardly new world, we can have software that can produce, write songs, generating lyrics and melodies, provide an infinite variety of instrumentation, including AI vocals. Needless to say, artistic content is not a priority, and much of our current pop does not feature the kind of musical creativity and lyrical genius of artists like Joni Mitchell. Jazz icon Lyle Mays commented, We've become much more productive because of technology. Whereas in the past you needed years of musical training, now you only need a first or second grade education, a week, and a fancy synth. It's a triumph of modern capitalism. Billboard's article says many people believe the industry needs to reposition itself. Yeah, they do. What's wrong with the industry is precisely that system and that metric. I had the opportunity to have long talks with legendary producer and co-founder of Atlantic Records, Jerry Wexler. And he told me stories of going out every night with the Erdogan brothers, traveling to small towns in the South, looking for new acts. Wexler described the three men as music lovers who used their considerable musical knowledge and creativity to both recognize talent and enable that talent to make hit records for the public. The great producer Arif Mardin told me, we don't have a lot of creative record executives today. We don't have an Ahmed Erdogan or Jerry Wexler. In the old days, it was more for the music than the money. They were blues lovers and appreciated great voices. Today, we have bean counters. 
So unfortunately, the whole business is in decline, and maybe there will be some regrouping. Martin had been advised against signing and producing Nora Jones by all his industry colleagues who said she was uncommercial. And then they were surprised at her success. At that point, Martin explained, the industry told its A&R staff to go out and sign six more Nora Joneses, bean counters. Maybe, just maybe, the answer lies in the major labels changing their business model. Embrace the existence of new, truly independent labels and artists. I've been a professional musician since 1975, and I've seen A&R who were from marketing, legal, or business backgrounds. But like Arif Martin, some of the greatest A&R of the classic era of popular music were musicians, songwriters, producers, and arrangers, Quincy Jones, Lieber and Stoller, George Martin, Jim Ed Norman, Chaz Chandler, Muff Winwood. Maybe labels should hire people who understand the product they're dealing with, experienced musical practitioners who can recognize talent and understand how to nurture it. I was a teenager growing up in the London of the 1960s. I saw The Who, John Mayle with Eric Clapton and Mick Taylor, The Yardbirds with Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck, The Rolling Stones, Ten Years After, The Pretty Things, Jimi Hendrix, and the very first tryout gig in a small club for Cream. I saw them all in small clubs. Power, personality, artistry, sweat. And then my friends and I bought the records. There's a metric for you. The way artists broke in those days, and I might add since the 1910s, was getting seen live in small clubs, not on an 80-foot screen half a mile away from you, and not on an overproduced video one inch wide. Of course, the clubs actually paid the artists. The band didn't make a fortune, but it was a fee they could live on if they got enough gigs. Since the 1980s, clubs and other venues that have music asked the band to play for nothing, for door money which the club takes a percentage of, or often the artist has to hire the room. This pay to play should be illegal and every musician's union should demand a minimum wage and this should be codified by law. Playing live is a way for unknown artists to build a long career. If I were running a major label, <laughs> I'd take some of the money wasted on expensive luxury studios, expense accounts, and astronomical salaries and put it into creating venues in every major city, encouraging new creative artists, giving them a chance to grow, and sign them if they did well. I'd live stream the performances and increase the live audience. Well, that's it, I guess, and, and some will say, what am I ranting about? It's only music. Philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche wrote that we have art so that we shall not die of reality. Well, I'm a musician, so for me and the great artists I've been grateful to work with, this is a matter of life and death. Thank you. Radio Red